Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, ooh, an intriguing Pulisic interview, uh, UCL, CCL, Boston Movies, World Cup, Hey, Vegas, Il Bambino Conte, the shining light that is St. Louis, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, March 20th in the year 2023? I'm doing well, but more importantly, you made it in here this morning, so your knee must be feeling I pretty good. I am here in all my glory. I am uh, meted up a little bit just to uh, get through, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, it's been good. I, uh, we are a week out, exactly a week today from my uh, uh, my knee surgery, and I'm feeling good. I'm doing rehab. Uh, the pain is... It's there, but it's minimal and certainly nothing that uh, you know is keeping me up at night. Like I said, I do have... Uh, some medication. I've found Mossy that the um, the opioids that they did give me, which are kind of last resort things. Um, I tried Oxy once, and, and I'll be honest, uh, it didn't affect me in the way that uh, I've been led to believe that this does, which I guess is a a good thing. Except there's a reason why these medications exist: is it's to actually <laughs> help with pain, and so it didn't really change anything. There's this other thing called tramadol that I got, which actually I I, I like more because not only does it help. At least me, it just affects me better when it comes to the pain, but it also makes me incredibly sleepy and I doze out, which is a good thing uh, in terms of my uh, recovery. Um, uh, but I do also have a cane. It's it's also kind of for show. And for those that aren't watching, I'm holding it up right now. Last time I had knee surgery, maybe 10 years ago, I just had a little scope. It was the first knee surgery I ever had in my life. My daughter was then very young. She quickly took my cane and... Uh, decorated it all over. So I uh, continued the tradition and have a, a nice pink pattern here so people can see me coming and going. And if they're going to hit me, I want to make it as uh, difficult as possible. So at least they can uh, see me. But like I said, I'm not using it a whole lot. I've been going for some walks. And so uh, thank you. I, again, thank you for people that have uh, sent their, uh, their well wishes. But I am on the mend. I am feeling good and glad to be in studio with you. I've uh, seen pimps with less tacky canes <laughs> than that. I know, right? It's like a step show or something I got going on yeah. here. But yeah, I, I, I do a little bit of swinging here uh, here and there when it comes uh, to the uh, to the cane. Did you watch anything, my friend? Uh, I watched lots of people lose their life savings thanks to a TCU three-pointer at the buzzer. That's right. You went to Vegas. I did, How yes. was it? It was terrific. Yes. Um, a buddy of mine from high school, his good friend from college is one of these high rollers that goes to Vegas frequently and bets a lot of money. And so 
they've started to comp him on his trip. So he got all these free rooms at the win. A whale, if you will. Correct. So I got in on that. So I had uh, free rooms at the win two nights, free food and drinks. We had excellent dinners, Cipriani, Delilah, which is like the hottest place in town. So absolutely terrific weekend. Wow. That sounds awesome. And uh, from a gambling perspective, how'd it go? I'm not much of a gambler. Right. Um, to quote Richard Gere in Primal Fear, why gamble with money when you can gamble with people's lives? There, exactly. Exactly. All right, cool. Well, you, you had a good time. Uh, so you didn't watch anything because you were uh, having a good time over there. I, on the other hand, because, you know, being laid up and constantly elevating and icing and stuff, um, more so than usual and watching stuff. And I went on a whole Boston movie kick. And we'll probably have to get our input uh, input from our listeners and our viewers out there because, you know, there's this whole genre of Boston movies that most of them are pretty, pretty good. Some of them are even great. So I'm talking about I went and watched. Uh, let's see. Well, my favorite movie ever, which is The Verdict uh, with Paul Newman. Uh, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, then like Spotlight and Mystic River and Gone Baby Gone and The Departed and The Town. And I even threw in Goodwill Hunting uh, in there. So, I mean, it was just all over Boston and that Boston scene. Now, there's plenty of bad Boston movies, too. But send us in your uh, favorite Boston movies. I think I just I just hit a pretty good uh, selection there. And you watched all of them? Yeah. Yeah. I cranked them out. I was just I mean, because I, I I'm sitting there and, you know, that my I'm sitting at the, at the uh, seat right now and all the blood is draining downward and you don't want that to happen. So as soon as this is over, I'll get up and I'll elevate and I and I'll ice. And I'm, I've been pretty good at following the directions, whether it's the medication, whether it's the uh, the rehab stuff, including icing and elevating it at all at all times, which I have been doing. And luckily, I am able to do that. So when I'm sitting around there watching uh, stuff. This is what I what I did. And so I went down that that rabbit hole of, of Boston movies out there. I'm sure there are plenty uh, that I missed there. So uh, let us know uh, what, what you had. Anything before we start, Moss? You ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start? Uh, should we start over there with um, Christian Pulisic, who is the content provider that we all know and love and need? Yeah, our producer, Sean Sullivan, can't get enough of this Burhalter Reina story. So we lead with it again. The latest twist being this Pulisic interview with Graham Hunter of ESPN, in which he made some very interesting comments. Yes. Uh, so I think, first off, it, it's important to frame Christian Pulisic in 2023. We have seen him kind of grow up in front of our eyes as a soccer player and as a, and as a young man. And he is now a man uh, and not a boy. Uh, he is still relatively young and still has a huge career ahead of him. But he also has been thrust in at times to this leadership role that I think he I think he's uncomfortable with. And, um, you know, when it comes to this particular interview, I don't think that we have seen a more human Christian Pulisic. And so well done to ESPN and, and Grant Hunter there for getting the most out of him now. It's a it's a lengthy interview and you should certainly go check it out. But he talks about a lot of things. Uh, you know, the big points are the the Burhalter Reina situation, which continues to you know, fester like a boil on American soccer and is relevant. And he talked about it and you can see he, he called everything with Greg Burhalter has been handled in an extremely childish manner. And so he used the word childish uh, specifically. I think ultimately, because he goes on to talk about Greg Berhalter and the time with Greg Berhalter, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about what I think is a real healthy 
respect for Greg Berhalter. And I think Christian Pulis's, his comments in this interview were, I don't think surprisingly, because this isn't necessarily something that is illuminating, but they were unsurprisingly positive and supportive of Greg Berhalter. And I do think that his comments reflect, you know, a general affinity that not everyone, because you can never have that, but the majority of U.S. players have for Greg Berhalter, with obvious exceptions uh, out there. And had this Reina farce not occurred post-World Cup, I don't think, and certainly based off this interview, I, I, I think I'm justified, I don't think that players would have blinked had Greg Berhalter continued on um, as coach. Now, he does stop short of completely endorsing Greg Berhalter to continue on as the U.S. men's national team coach. But I think he made it very, very clear in this interview that he and presumably others agreed with how Greg Berhalter and the staff dealt with the Gio Reyna situation during the World Cup. And I also think what was interesting to hear him talk about was he does seem worried that because of all of this, we risk throwing the baby out with the bathwater and not capitalizing on this, what he feels was forward motion, was evolution, was progress, and ultimately was debatable. But I think he looks at it as a successful World Cup that is going to lead in the next now three and a half years to the next World Cup, which is, I think, where he wants the focus to be and does it, doesn't see it right now being. Is that a, you know, is that a fair assessment of, uh, of the interview? Absolutely. And it's interesting because there has been this narrative that some of the U.S. players who play for big European clubs didn't respect Greg Berhalter, given his background. And yet Pulisic doesn't seem to have that issue. I know he's only one person, but his comments were so supportive of Berhalter that it actually made me wonder about the Pulisic geodynamics, which we'll start to find out about that this week with the U.S. back in action and both those guys in the squad. Um, I think they'll be okay, but I, I, it is something to think about because the way Pulisic portrayed it. He seems to be, I know it's tried to divide people into Team Berhalter, Team Reyna, but to the extent that we want to do that here, he seems to be Team Berhalter. Yeah, I, I think so. And and look, you know, Christian Pulisic, like I said, continues to grow up in front of us. And I actually think Christian Pulisic is very smart uh, in a lot of ways. We don't necessarily see it. And I think he is obviously at times very shy and uncomfortable and guarded in these kind of traditional media settings that we see him in. And that's that's not his forte, but he is growing into it. And he's never going to be the, you know, the gregarious and social and articulate type of interview that, you know, a Weston McKinney or a Tyler Adams are. But I also think that he may be more so than anybody understands team dynamics and he has already certainly with his time at Chelsea seen enough ridiculousness and dysfunction to know when it happens. And I think this is as far as we have seen him go with the frustration that I think he feels uh, right now. All of that, you know, is to say, I think he has certainly turned the corner and he made it very clear he's not necessarily picking the uh, the coach. No, he's not. He's not picking the coach, um, nor nor should he. But he kind of wants to get this thing going. So I'm, I'll be excited to see what he looks like on the field uh, with the U.S. national team uh, going forward. Anything else jump out at you in the uh, in terms of the interview? Well, I agree with you that. 
Pulisic uh, seemed to like the progressive approach that Greg Berhalter took. Uh, Matt Doyle had a very good Twitter thread about this on Friday. He linked to an article in The Athletic that came out shortly after the World Cup, which I hadn't read yet, with all these analytics pointing to the fact that this was the most progressive U.S. team we've ever seen at a World Cup. And so I do think he's concerned that if they bring in a different coach, he might opt for a more conservative style. And in Pulisic's case, that would mean regressing because he likes the direction that Berhalter generally tried to take the team. So uh, that was interesting for me. As he well. also said that he doesn't they don't need a lot of, quote unquote, new guys coming in. So so to your point, he likes the group that has been assembled. And I don't think he was saying that that it can't that it can't get better. But I think he was pushing back on the narrative that there needs to be a cleaning uh, cleaning of house. And maybe that narrative is much more outside the field as opposed to on uh, on the field. But I think he wanted to emphasize how good uh, how good this uh, how good this group is. And uh, you know, there were some other things that he said that were that were interesting. Anything else uh, before we before we move on? Well, I, I would just pose a question: Why would the U.S. rehire Greg Berhalter when they have two French legends to choose from in Thierry Henry and Patrick <laughs> Vieta? We haven't talked about that on this podcast. We should. We, uh, we should. But you know what I'm going to do though? I am going to give you uh, later on this week my top five candidates. Now I know this is completely putting the cart before the horse. Because until that position is filled, and it, and it should be noted that uh, Cindy Parlacone this week um, in the AGM for U.S. Soccer was asked about where they are going. And she reiter reiterated that until they fill the position that is going to ultimately decide who the coach is, either in a GM or sporting director type of role, this is this is in stasis right now. We are just kind of waiting. But she also said that we will consult the players. Now, that is nothing new. Over the years, every president has said, yeah, we're going to take into account the, you know, the wishes and the opinions of the players. It doesn't mean that Christian Pulisic or anybody else is going to ultimately uh, pick the coach. But I will give you later on this week my, my five coaches that I think would be good for this particular job at this particular moment. I have some thoughts on Henri. Should I save them for Wednesday? Yeah, then? Let's, let's save them for Wednesday. Fair good enough. tease, my friend. Good, uh, good tease there. Um, I, I'll leave it with this. You don't have to always like your coach to respect your coach. And I think in this interview, when Christian Pulisic was talking about, and I know it's anecdotal, but you always ask for examples. And I think Christian Pulisic actually gave an example of Greg Berhalter's coaching style. And one of the reasons why he respects him when he talked about where, you know, he had scored a goal against Chile in the first half, a great goal. And then he picked up an injury and went to the hospital and he came back later in the night and Greg Berhalter called him and said, look, maybe the reason is you need to train harder. You need to train more like you play. And Christian Pulisic in his young ego said, you know, who is this guy telling me this? And he's had time to think about that and recognizes that that's, that's exactly what he needed in that moment. And so I think that that shows a lot about who, who Christian Pulisic is or who Christian Pulisic is becoming. But also, you know, when when the criticism is Greg, you know, to your point, can't handle these players that play at big clubs or doesn't understand the dynamic. I, I think here's an example. And it's just one example where a very, very important player was in the moment, angry at his coach, but ultimately recognized that the coach was right and therefore that respect and maybe even that bond uh, was made. Now, how many times this has happened with other players or it hasn't happened with other players? We don't know. But 
there's a difference when Christian Pulisic says something relative to this team as opposed to uh, others here. And so this was a, I, I do think it was enlightening to hear him talk uh, talk about this. Um, and he's <laughs> he's getting better. He's getting better in front of the camera. But like I said, he's never going to be, you know, the Zlatanisk type of uh, um, of personality that a lot of people I think want him to be. I still say his face lacks the gravitas to pull off a beard. <laughs> All right. Well, so if that's the worst thing about Christian Pulisic, he did actually, you know, talk about his future a little bit, saying that he wants to play Champions League. Uh, and, you know, that's that's important. So, you know, there is a huge possibility that Christian Pulisic come this fall is with a different team. But I think he does have that desire to continue to be at, quote unquote, the highest level in playing in Champions League. This interview occurred right before the Champions League quarterfinal draw. Pulisic was asked about that. He said, I don't think anybody wants to face Chelsea. The draw then occurred and it will be Real Madrid taking on Chelsea, which is a rematch of an incredible quarterfinal tie that Real Madrid won last season en route to lifting the trophy. It'll be first leg at the Bernabeu and then second leg at Stanford Bridge. The draw laid out the whole remaining bracket. Manchester City will face Bayern Munich, first leg at the Etihad, second leg at the Allianz Arena. And then the winners of those two ties... Chelsea, Real Madrid, City, Bayern will square off in the semis. Other side of the bracket, all Italian affair, uh, AC Milan against Napoli. First leg, San Siro. Second leg, Diego Maradona Stadium. And then Benfica, Inter Milan. First leg, Stadio da Luz. Second leg, San Siro. Apologize, Sean Sullivan, if I whip through those too quickly, but that's all right. Those that's are right. the matchups. When you're on a roll, my friend, I'm not getting your way. Uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, we talked on our last pod about how Syria was having a moment. Uh, first time since 2006, three teams in the quarterfinals. And I thought they were the big winners in this draw, having all three clubs on one side. I think it almost guarantees we're going to have an Italian team uh, in the final. I know I sang Benfica's praises recently. I think they are a very good team, but. Uh, I would expect one of those three Italian clubs to be the one left standing from that side of the draw. All right. So, but so go through them then. Uh, Chelsea, Real Madrid. We're, we'll talk more about both of these these clubs relative to their domestic uh, efforts right now. And I think all of their eggs are right now in this Champions League basket in terms of what they have to uh, have to play for. So, who do you got in Chelsea, Real Madrid? I have Real Madrid, Chelsea. It's interesting. Both times they won the Champions League in 2012 and 2021, it occurred in seasons where they weren't that good domestically. They fired a coach. And so Pulisic's comments uh, there, it, it was before this weekend's draw against Everton, yeah. which maybe halted some of their momentum, but they had won three in a row in all competitions. There was a growing sense in the Chelsea camp that they could be catching lightning in the bottle again and clicking at the right time and maybe be a dangerous team in the Champions League, despite languishing mid-table in the Premier League. I buy all that, but at the end of the day, I still would pick Real Madrid to eliminate them. If they win Champions League, they make it to Champions League, right? Correct. So this might be their only pathway to Champions yeah. League, sitting Amazingly in 10th right now for Chelsea. And Real Madrid, you know, La Liga is gone, so they can focus all of their attention basically on... Uh, yeah, I, I do have Real Madrid going through against Chelsea. You mentioned uh, City versus Bayern. What do you got? Incredible tie. Right? Really could be the final. Um, Eileen City... It's Pep against his former club. Erlen Holland used to facing Bayern from his Dortmund days. Uh, I would slightly lean Manchester City. Oh, I want to pick Bayern so badly, and I can't. No, I can't. I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm going to pick Bayern. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you're slight. I mean, this is, this is close. And to your point, this, is, this could be a final. And, okay. Uh, Inter Benfica, you know, you just mentioned how much you love Benfica. Yeah, Inter just knocked out Porto, so they face the other Portuguese giant. 
this is pretty much a 50-50. Like I said, I like this Benfica team a lot, but I think I'm going to slightly lean Inter to go through. Then I'm going to go Benfica uh, and Milan-Napoli. I'm going to go Napoli, but beware of this tie for them. They're clearly the better team. They're 23 points above AC Milan and Serie A. Another big win this weekend, 4-0 over Torino. Osimhen with two more goals. By the way, the latest Pulisic rumor is him going to Napoli in a deal that would send Osimhen the other way to Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I would say, though, is same country matchups in continental competitions can be wonky. The better team doesn't always win. You can go all the way back to 2004 when Chelsea eliminated the Arsenal Invincibles in the quarterfinals. Recently, City lost in the quarterfinals to Liverpool in 18 and Tottenham in 19 when they were clearly the better team both those seasons. Uh, Atletico Madrid knocked out Barcelona a couple times in the quarterfinals uh, recently. So uh, I don't think this is a layup for Napoli, despite how much better they've been than AC Milan and Serie A. But I would take Napoli uh, to go through. So will I. And I think it's a layup. Um, All right. uh, Should we move on to CONCACAF Champions League? Yes. The uh, quarterfinals are set there as well. Um, Right after we finished taping on Wednesday... Tigres prevailed against Orlando. It was a 1-1 draw at Exploria Stadium. It had finished 0-0 in Mexico. So Tigres take it on away goals. More on that in a minute. Um, and then LAFC made things a little bit more nervy than it probably should have been. But they did ultimately move on against Alajuelense. Then um, Thursday, Leon took care of Tauro. And then a stunner, uh, Motagua of Honduras eliminated reigning Mexican champions Pachuca. So It's wide uh, open. Yeah, It's we wide have, open right now. Uh, let me just say this first off. I know MLS fans enjoy watching a Liga MX team get knocked out in the fashion that Pachuca did, but I actually don't think that was a great development from the standpoint of an MLS team winning CCL this season. The reason I say that is once Austin and Orlando got knocked out, I think it's a 100% certainty that a Liga MX team is coming out of that side of the bracket. And if you had your druthers, you'd rather it not be Tigres. I think they are the most intimidating of all the Mexican teams. So you would, you would have hoped that another Liga MX team could have knocked them out. You thought you were going to have two cracks at it with Pachuca and Leon. Now it's only going to be one. Tigres are definitely going to get past Motagua. Leon should get past Violet. And then it'll be Tigres, Leon in the semis. And you'll be rooting for Leon there. But if it's Tigres, then you're going to have to face a juggernaut of a Mexican team in the final. From a neutral's perspective, the dream final for me would be Tigres against either Philadelphia or LAFC. In LAFC's case, that'd be a rematch of the 2020 final in the bubble in Orlando. So... But we can't have an MLS MLS final at all. MLS no, that final. ended with Orlando and Austin getting knocked I, I, out. I honestly, I don't mind that. I, I actually, when it happens, I want it to be, I don't want any excuses and, and I want it to be kind of monumental. And you know, for better or worse, the reality is going through a, a Liga MX team to win is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, the other, the other side of the bracket. So the quarterfinal matchups are Leon Violet, um, Tigres Motagua, and then other side, it's LAFC against Vancouver, an all-MLS showdown, and then Philadelphia against Atlas. So you do have a League MX team on that side of the bracket, so there is still the possibility for an all-League MX final, yep. but I don't see it. I think either Philadelphia or LAFC would make it to the final out of that side. All right, so Philly-Atlas, what do you got? Philly. Okay, uh, I, I agree with you there. LAFC-Vancouver, I have LAFC. Yep. Okay. Leon Violette, I have, I mean, as good as it was, this is where Violette, uh, <laughs> the, the reality, uh, you know, the uh, um, pumpkin and all that kind of stuff uh, finishes for Cinderella. So Leon over Violette. Did you see Derek Etienne took a shot at us? No. What did he say? I don't know if it was specifically us, but he didn't like the fact that people uh, categorize Austin going out to Violette as an embarrassment. He felt like we should have given Violette more credit instead of making it about Austin's uh, failure. But uh, I stand by what I said, given the circumstances of that tie, which we outlined 
Uh, that was an absolutely embarrassing elimination from Austin's part. <laughs> Unacceptable. That was Derek Etienne? Yeah. Yeah. He can get in line like everybody else. <laughs> I, I like Derek and uh, he can have his own opinion on that, but uh, I don't care what he says. It was a complete and utter disaster and failure from Austin. And I think as we get further and further away from it, it will become more so. Um, and, it, and I think we gave Violette their due, but their due is relative to who they are, what they've done, <laughs> and and the reality of the team that they ultimately put out there. So I, gave, I think we gave them respect uh, commiserate with who they are. Uh, and then Montagua Tigres. Tigres. So okay. I think we'll have all Mexican semifinal on one side, Leon Tigres, all MLS and the other LAFC against Philadelphia. So Philly LAFC and Leon Tigres in the semifinals. Yep. I'm I, I totally agree with you there. All right. Anything else, my friend? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we will, uh, as we said, take a, a trip around the world and uh, some MLS action that is happening in a crazy Early but crazy MLS season so far. Don't go anywhere. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, we're back. And uh, in the break, I actually uh, needed to elevate. So I have my leg up on the uh, desk for those that are uh, watching. So, you know, don't worry. But uh, my doctor... Dr. Zarin out here in uh, Los Angeles will be very happy that I'm, even though I'm working, that I'm uh, elevating and uh, doing that. And I got some uh, ice coming too. Um, all right, Mossy, where should we start here in our, uh, in our trip around uh, the domestic leagues? We'll start in MLS. History made this past weekend. St. Louis 3, San Jose 0. St. Louis, the first expansion team in MLS history to win their first four games. My boy, Joan Klaus with another goal. It's, it's all happening for St. Louis right now. It, it is. And sing while you're winning. And they are winning, and it's fun to watch from the outside. I can't even imagine what it's like uh, on the inside. You know, we've talked about my uh, my trip to St. Louis and how much fun I had there and what it is uh, from afar. I can't even imagine what it is uh, uh, on the ground. And if someone was asking me on Twitter, uh, when do we stop uh waiting for the other shoe to fall when it comes to St. Louis? When do we just say, hey, this is a good team? 
potentially a great team, even though it's their first year. And my answer to them was next year. That's when, that's when we do it. So this entire year, there are going to be doubts, and rightfully so. It doesn't mean that this isn't already a competitive team. It also doesn't mean that they can't find themselves looking uh, at a, uh, a down period or multiple losses in a row. But this is a team that understands exactly who they are, who they aren't. This is a team that obviously is uh, has been well coached in terms of understanding what they want to do. But this is also a team that has yet to experience anything bad. And so it's great and it's wonderful. And I don't know when that bad period is going to happen. And I, I don't want it to happen. This is a great story. This is a great story for MLS. This is a great story uh, for, uh, for St. Louis, however long that it, uh, that it goes along. And they are already well on their way to getting to a playoff spot. And if you remember, whether it's myself or so many others, you know, I said this team even challenging for a playoff spot would be a success. Now the expectations are heightened. In in a good way. This is all positive, a positive stuff. Now they have to uh, have they have to live up to it, and they have yet to be punched in the nose, really. And it will happen because it happens to everybody. And you know they will have their moment where everybody's going to say, "Ah, back to reality. This is exactly what the what the team is." And they were just living in rarefied air for a, for a little bit. But it's going to be, what does it come back down to? Because I think myself and a lot of others thought that this is where it was going to be. And given this start. Whatever that come down is, it might not be as much as we thought originally. Uh, Portland got punched in the nose this weekend. <laughs> Atlanta with a 5-1 victory over Portland. Tiago Amato with two goals, including an incredible free kick. I saw you tweeting about this this morning, so you find it just as interesting as I do. Amato's been the best player in the league so far this season. If you keep playing like this, he's going to win the MVP. And he's very interesting from a transfer perspective. We spoke to Taylor Tolman about this recently. MLS pivoting to signing younger South American players. Obviously, you'd love if some of them just want to stay in MLS for their whole careers, but realistically, you know that some of them are going to want to end up in Europe. And so part of the sales pitch has to be that MLS can serve as that bridge. Uh, the most successful example was Almiron. There have been some since then, but there's a feeling that from a proof of concept standpoint, they're still kind of living off Almiron. And now it looks like they're going to have another uh, great example to point to because Almada is no doubt going to go to a fairly big club in Europe for a lot of money, probably more than what Almiron went for to Newcastle. So it's going to break the record for biggest sale involving an MLS player. The question would be, does it happen this summer? And then you're breaking up what looks to be a very good Atlanta team that's on top of the Eastern Conference right now. Or can they entice Almada to stay for a whole other year and not leave until January? So I think that's going to be the interesting question hovering over the situation. But I mean, this has just been such a successful signing to entice him to come to MLS, to have him make the Argentina World Cup squad. So now you have a World Cup winner playing in MLS and him playing the way he is so far this season, looking like he's going to eventually go to Europe for a mega transfer. This has just been perfect all the way around. It's it's wonderful to see. And it is kind of uh, proof of concept. Not that MLS needed it because they've already done this before, but this may end up being the highest transfer valuation in MLS history. And, you know, he is ripe for it. Somebody was asking me this morning on Twitter, do you think that we'll be able to keep him for next season? I said, next season? Let's see if you can even keep him through the summer, right? Because there's going to be people that come calling. Now, the valuation that Garth Lagerway uh, and MLS put on this player is really going to be interesting because they've never been in a situation where, I mean, 
you know, the cachet of being a World Cup winner in Argentine, a young player already right now, arguably the best player in the league. So right in that sweet spot moment come this summer, you know, what what is he worth? And MLS is going to continue to try to set the bar. And that's that'll be really interesting, ultimately, what it comes down to, because, you know, we've talked about Almarone and that kind of stuff. But I mean, the the sky, well, the sky isn't completely the limit, but a very high valuation is going to be placed on him. And does that make him untouchable or do people come in and say, yep, he's worth it? Yeah. And what Atlanta wants to do is cultivate this dynamic where they can bring these guys in every couple of years. So when Almiron left, they brought in P.T. Martinez thinking he would fill that void. He didn't quite live up to expectations. Almada comes in, he has... So when they ultimately sell Amada, they they want to be able to pluck another young South American player that can step in. And if you can, that's what, you know, the Benficas and Ajaxes right. do. They, they always have, or Dortmund even, they always have the next young player cycling through. So they don't mind as much cashing in because it's not like the, it's going to be a huge drop off. Atlanta, we haven't quite seen that. Like I said, they, there was that big drop off from Almiron to Pitti Martinez. So we'll see if they can get it right this time and have a player ready to step in for Almada. The... You know, the uh, the ah moment for MLS, and I know a lot of people are kind of looking at it, is at what point do the Almadas say, no, I'm not going anywhere. This is where I want to be. I'm going to get paid as much money as I need to get paid. I have a great lifestyle. I love the, uh, you know, I love the the play on the field. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, the, the, uh, the ambition still and the vision and the dream for many of these players is to use MLS as a stepping stone off to... Uh, up to bigger and better things, but that's ultimately the step that MLS wants to take. And I don't know when ultimately that happens that in that moment, then Don Garber's vision of this league being a league of choice actually comes to fruition. For now though, what MLS really gets off on is what Taylor Twelman said, say Almada goes to some big European club. Every time he plays for them, the announcer is going to invariably yep. reference Almada signed from MLS's Atlanta United. And, and that's just good publicity for the league. Of course. Ab- absolutely. But and, I, and I've said this before, I can envision a future where the allure of MLS relative to playing and living in North America is such that there are players that are saying that are saying no. And I've said this before, people aren't going to the EPL, players aren't going to the EPL for the weather and the food, okay? They're going for the money. And if you can equal that money and give them the same prestige and credibility, and there's nothing lost in that because this is a national team player who obviously wants to continue to play for Argentina. Now you're cooking. There's a reason why so many people want to come to this country, including soccer players. And so maybe at that point, you can see a migration happening, but that's that's sometime in the future. So for now, to your point, making sure that there is good business and there is value associated with the players that are coming from MLS, that's, uh, that's what you got to do. And maybe there is none bigger than Almada going forward when all is said and done after this summer. Uh, the big showdown this weekend was Seattle LAFC. It finished nil-nil. And most people seem to think a missed opportunity for Seattle because LAFC was coming off CCL. So this was a chance for the Sounders to lay down an early season marker and they squandered it. It was a difficult game to watch. Uh, aesthetically, it was a difficult game to watch. Whatever LAFC was wearing, it it doesn't work. It doesn't work on the screen. And look, you're Seattle. You're green. Okay. I love Bruce Lee. All right. Don't get me wrong. I love Bruce Lee. But come on, man. You're you're running around in red. And it makes it that much worse because for whatever reason, 
the actual field in Seattle always comes off looking muted and dirty and just bad. You know, the and that's synthetic up there for people that don't know. But the synthetic surface in, for example, Portland, it pops much more on the screen. It's much more green. So I was I was bent out of shape initially just because of the aesthetics. And then the game wasn't particularly uh, good. And ultimately, not just because there weren't any goals, it just and they went back and forth and there were some chances uh, here or there, but wonderful crowd. Seattle always brings it and they deserved more. So I do think that it, this was a better result for LAFC and a wasted result for Seattle. I still think with apologies to St. Louis, these are the two best teams in the West. Oh, okay, cool. St. Louis, uh, you know where to at him or, or to get <laughs> at him. Uh, what else, Mossy? Uh, let's go to England. We'll do Premier League first and FA Cup. In the Premier League, America's team leads United with a massive win, 4-2 away to Wolves. Uh, McKinney and Aronson started. Adams missed the game with an injury, which is going to keep him out of the U.S. games as well. Uh, but big result for Leeds. They vault out of the relegation zone all the way up to 14th. Amazing, right? Yep. So, great result. Great result uh, for Leeds. Great result for you know the Americans that are playing, whether they're on the field uh, or will be on the field like a, a Tyler Adams. Just what the doctor ordered. I mean, this is... This is huge because it's a way, like you said, one result is ultimately probably going to decide their fate when it comes down to it. And on this back and forth that's happening, uh, going down to the end here when it comes to uh, uh, comes to relegation. So yeah, Leeds sitting at 14th, looking pretty. Everton, not so much. And then Nottingham Forest behind them and then Leicester behind them. So there is there is some padding, but there's still work to do. Although Everton earned a pretty good result this weekend. 2-2 draw away to Chelsea. This halts Chelsea's recent momentum. They had won three in a row. Christian Pulisic got a rare start, played about 60 minutes, had a beautiful goal early in the second half that was Whoa. called back because of an offside in the buildup. Uh, what did you make of his performance? I mean, I, I guess at this point, any time that he is starting and playing and doing all those things, it is a good thing. And I think he looked good. I'm not, I don't necessarily think he looked good enough to change the hearts and minds that, uh, relative to his future. Remember we had talked about it last week or something about potentially him just from a timing wise being at a point where Chelsea starts to turn a corner and being associated with that and therefore doesn't it doesn't look as appealing going forward to get rid of him. I, I still think that he is looked at as surplus when it comes to this Chelsea team. And I think he probably understands that. But his actual play on the field was fine. He wasn't the best player on the field. He certainly wasn't the worst player on the field. And I guess for Christian Pulisic, given what's happened over the last few months and his injury history, just being on the field is a, uh, in and of itself, a coup. Also in England, the FA Cup semifinals are set. Both Manchester clubs involved. Uh, City advanced uh, from the quarterfinals by hammering Burnley 6-0. Erlen Haaland with a hat-trick. So if you're keeping score, that's eight goals in two games for him. Remember, he got five against Leipzig in the Champions League. This was City hammering a Burnley side that's leading the championship and that's managed by Vincent Company, who a lot of people think is going to be the successor to Guardiola at City. Obviously, a legendary player there. Uh, Erlen Holland, what can you say at this point? (laughs) I mean, yeah, what can you say? He's the greatest goal scorer playing in the game today. Any team in the world would take him. I think his time at Man City has made him not just more appealing in terms of he's continued to score goals, but I do think that 
you know, there's this, this tendency to think that he's that finished product. He's not. He is still growing. He is still learning. I know just his sheer stature makes him think like, well, this is the finished product. That's not the case at all. So I actually think he has gotten better. And then the thing that you just can't teach, which is this, this beautiful greed that he has for scoring goals, is just constantly there. But he does more than just score goals. If he keeps scoring like this and City wins the Premier League and the Champions League, let's say, it would be interesting to see if he wins the Ballon d'Or even having not played at the World Cup. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Uh, it's hard for him, and it's not his fault. It's just the you know the way that it, uh, it ultimately is. Uh, uh, Manchester United, uh, we should talk about their game. Okay. They were trailing Fulham 1-0 in the second half, and then this game turned on one play. Uh, United counterattack, Anthony feeds Jaden Sancho, who rounds Leno, and then it shoots into what he thought was an empty net. William comes out of nowhere, pulls a Suarez-Ghana 2010 move. Uh, handball, they reviewed it. Penalty, red card, which was the correct decision. I don't know what Fulham were so upset about, but Marco Silva went nuts and got sent off. And then Mitrovic shoves the referee and got sent off as well. So what So what were they complaining about? I have no idea. Bizarre. <laughs> I mean, look, players complain no matter what. Even when they know, you know, they're trying to be squeaky wheels and, and trying to possibly influence something that, especially nowadays with VAR, there's nothing you can do. So Bruno Fernandes converts the penalty 1-1, and then Fulham were down in nine. So it was pretty much all over. Sabitzer scored right after 2-1, and then Bruno Fernandes tacked on another. So 3-1, uh, United move on, and the draw already occurred, and the Manchester clubs were kept apart. So the semis will be City against Sheffield United, uh, Manchester United against Brighton. So if no big upsets there, we could have a Manchester City-Manchester United FA were Cup they, final. Were they kept apart spe like specifically, or it, it was no, just it was the, draw. the luck of the draw? Luck of the draw. <laughs> Oh, tinfoil, my man. I yeah. love it. Okay. Well, I mean, look, it's 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 good. And if it just if it's just serendipity the way it all worked out, fine. But. Although I will say, not a great weekend for City in, in the Premier League because while they were idle, Arsenal hammered Crystal Palace. So the gap is now eight there. Arsenal looking very strong. Uh, yeah, I mean, we should mention them. I mean, you know, so they don't whine and, and complain. They, they, look, they look great. And if they were to find a way to mess this up, it would be a failure, <laughs> a, a colossus. It would just be, it, it would be amazing um, in many different, in different ways. I don't think that they, they do time and time again when we've asked questions of them, they have found a way uh, to get results. You can see they're playing with a swagger that I don't, I'm not sure was there at the beginning that has grown over time that is propelling them forward to an amazing year and obviously uh, a title and maybe a crowning of a new king when it comes to Arteta. But we'll see. In Germany, major development Oof, in the title race. Mossy. Dortmund hammered Cologne 6-1. Royce and Haller each with two goals. Gio came on in the second half when the outcome was no longer in doubt. And then Bayern Munich blink. They suffer a 2-1 defeat away to Leverkusen. They took the lead through Kimmich and then two goals by Palacios in the second half. Made it 2-1 final for Leverkusen. Xavi Alonso, by the way, doing a very good job on the Leverkusen bench. He's starting to attract a lot of attention. I've heard Real Madrid. I've heard even Bayern Munich. So looks like he's a rising young up-and-comer in the coaching profession. So, so two things. Uh, you know, when, uh, when Kimmich sc uh, scored his goal, everyone said, okay, it's fine. Here it comes. We're, we're going to go forward. And there just seemed to be this 
general feeling that maybe comes from an, uh, you know, an arrogance that isn't always justified, but certainly with this history of this team and the quality and talent that they have, I understand where it is, but they all just kind of kept looking around saying, all right, well, let's kick on and we'll, we'll get the goals that we need. And yet not only did they let uh, Leverkusen back into the game, but the penalties were, were stupid. Like you don't need to be doing that in that, in that moment. And, you know, it's one thing if you're up by a mul multiple goals, but this is like kids stuff. And this is Bayern Munich that we are talking about. And so now they find themselves in a position that I don't think any of us necessarily thought. It's awesome, by the way. This is awesome for the Bundesliga to actually, at this point, on March 20th, be in a situation where there is an actual title race and legit title race right now. And But we've... If we've been in this position in the past, it's always saying, okay, now Bayern's going to get serious and figure, figure it out and use all of that collective history that they have and talent that they have to say, all right, we kind of kept people hanging around and now we'll figure it out. So now Dortmund is one point ahead and the next round after the international break is Bayern hosting Dortmund April 1st. And, and both of these teams will have plenty of players on international duty. They will be hoping that they stay fit and healthy. But we'll see. Incidentally, we should mention, uh, we are now the rights holders for the Euros. Mm -hmm. And with that comes qualifying as well. That starts this week. We'll be covering a slew of Euro qualifiers, including Italy, England. Can't Looking wait. Looking forward to that. Yes, I will be on the uh, the desk there, back in the saddle, as it were. And uh, and ready to go. So that's going to be that's going to be fun. And we're looking forward to next summer. Well, we're looking forward to this summer and uh, next summer when it comes to that. Uh, Zach Kenworthy emailed me over the weekend, our boss, asking me to put together a graphic promoting Euro 2024. I always find it interesting which players Zach thinks are worth promoting on graphics <laughs> like that. So the four he told me to include are Mbappe, Harry Kane, Erlen Holland, and Robert Lewandowski. Not too shabby. Not too. Sh well, uh, do you agree or disagree? Was would there if you can only have four? Would you knock any at, of them out? At what point does Rashford overtake Kane as the go-to England? Damn, Mossy! Ooh! Okay. I also found it interesting. I wonder if it even crossed Zach's mind to include Cristiano Ronaldo, or have we moved on from him? He, he is in Roberto Martinez's first squad, so he's still in the picture. Okay. But have we moved on from All Ronaldo right. as a... Okay. Interesting. Interesting, Mossy. You know, you got to make decisions here. You know, yeah. not everybody's going to agree. That's why he gets paid the big bucks there, uh, Zach Kenworthy. Um, anything else, Mossy? Last thing, we had a Clásico this weekend. Barcelona hosted Real Madrid in La Liga. Barcelona with a 2-1 victory. Real Madrid took the lead, an own goal by Araujo. But then late in the first half, Sergi Roberto equalized. And then in stoppage time in the second half, Frank Kessie with the winner. Minutes earlier, Real Madrid had scored what they thought was the go-ahead goal, Asensio, but it was chalked off for offsides. It just it flipped on that because that was, that was the dagger. That was yeah. the dagger. And psychologically, you get... Second life, thanks to uh, thanks to VAR, and it was right. It was the right. It was it was the right call. But you just saw the entire stadium and everybody just kind of completely deflate on that goal, and you said, "Uh oh, here here it comes." Incidentally, I watched this game at the Win Sportsbook, and mm -hmm. and it was on all different screens. Lots of people into it. So soccer, you huh? You didn't bet on it, did you? I did not. <laughs> Had I bet, I probably would have bet Real Madrid. So you would have. So. Yes. Why? Um, I had a feeling, you know, their backs were against the wall. This was a must win that maybe that sort of Champions League Real Madrid would come out in a game like this. Uh, but no, Barcelona take it. So La Liga is over. It's yes, now a 12 it's point gap. 
unless they get yes, points. Yes, they shan't be back. Unless they get deducted points because of this refereeing How scandal. How dare you? How dare you, Mossy? All right, anything else? And that is it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. I continue to elevate here, and uh, it's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show when you uh, send in your questions, comments, concerns. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi. You can do it on all different social media platforms out there. Keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our hotline, as a lot of people do, uh, which is 657 549 2297. Again, this is the State of the Union podcast hotline where you call 657 549 2297. Nine seven. What do the folks want to hear this week, Mossy? Uh, we have three voicemails. The hotline was percolating Ooh. this week. Okay. Let's right. hear the first one now. This is Alex Goldstein, straight out of Austin, Texas. Uh, questions for both Mossy and uh, Lexi. So I, I recently was looking at uh, Twitter, and there was a very interesting tweet put out by a very well-known uh, uh, guy, tactical manager. He basically made a great point, and I thought was saying, the U.S. men's team has yet to have a world-class player in their history, which is pretty disappointing, but it begs the question, why haven't we been able to produce a world-class player, uh, whereas in many nations, in, or a few nations in CONCACAF have produced a world-class player? For example, Mexico has had Rafa Marquez, Hugo Sanchez. Costa Rica has produced Taylor Navas, one of the great goalkeepers in history. Uh, Canada has even been able to produce Alfonso Davies, but what has really kind of been up with the U.S. men's team as far as not producing a world-class player? Now, again, that term could be also used pretty loosely. I want to get your thoughts, and uh, thank you guys so much for doing the podcast. Muito obrigado, David Mossi. Ooh, a little Portuguese there at the end. I like it. Uh, thank you, Alex, and thank you for the uh, the question. I mean, look, this is a, an evergreen, evergreen type of question that many people and for many decades and many generations have been trying to, uh, to figure out. I think you mentioned, Alex, that the definition of a world-class player, I think, is, is important. But, you know, we're not going to try to define it here. But we all kind of know what it is and know what you're talking about. And I think you, at one point you mentioned Alfonso Davies, which I think is a kind of good comp. Why hasn't there been that? And look, you can argue that, you know, had it's about pathways, right? And choices in life. And had, I don't know, a, a Brad Friedel or a Casey Keller uh, or, a you know, Tim Howard or whoever from a goalkeeper perspective gone the same route as a Kaylor Navas and also not been tagged with an American. So the, the advantage that you have and it's and sometimes it's it's not even it's just perception and but but it can be powerful it can be valuable maybe they they would have done the same things um you know having said that i think it's just a matter of like i said the right pathway opening up for the right player there could have been plenty of players over the multiple generations that we have had players playing soccer that had they been given the opportunities that somebody born in another country 
can get and been looked at in the way that somebody born not in the United States is looked at, they might, uh, they might have fared, uh, fared better. I don't know when that is ultimately going to change. And I don't know what that person is ultimately going to look like, what position, what they're going to look like. And again, this probably goes back to what your definition is of a, uh, uh, of a world-class player. But you know, that's a long way of saying, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't think it's necessarily anything that we, when I say we, I mean America and the development of players are or aren't doing. As a matter of fact, you can certainly argue that it's night and day relative to the opportunities that I had growing up, for example, as opposed to a kid growing up today has. So the coaching and the resources and the scouting and the connections, and like I said, those pathways that exist are so much more abundant uh, and at your disposal today than they ever were when I were growing up. So that, that can't be argued. Are you familiar with this tactical manager that Alex referenced on the who's call? That? No, who's that? Uh, he's an interesting guy, very opinionated on Twitter. Ooh. He's a Brazilian like me, but seems to have switched his allegiance more to the United States. Oh. Uh, I might be wrong about that. He can address it on Twitter if he wants, but I suspect if Brazil faced the U.S. in a World Cup, he would root for the U.S. while I would root for Brazil. So it's ah. interesting how we've gone different oh, I know. ways on I know. that. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, I know. I've seen him on A, a big uh, Palmeiras fan, I think. Big Palmeiras fan. Yeah. I mean, look, it, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know him personally. Uh, is it is it him? I don't know if it's a him. Uh, yes, it is but a him. Regardless, uh, if he is talking about these things, that's great, and that's great. And if he's fostering discussion, whether we agree or disagree going forward, that's a that's a good thing. Do you have an answer to his uh, question? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with all the examples he laid out, but I think his larger point is correct. For all the progress that's been made the last thirty years, there still hasn't been that super duper star that the U.S. has produced. Even nations that I would say are generally inferior to the U.S. have that one guy like Erlen Holland, mm -hmm. Norway. So you do wonder if the sport would go to even another level if one the day the U.S. produces that guy who is one of the handful best players in the world. You know, and and this is this is kind of a cop out, but I do think that for all the talk about talent and all the talk about opportunities and pathways, there is an element of luck in all of our stories, including the, the, you know, the biggest and the best out, uh, out there. And you got to have the right coach the right time. You have to stay injury free. Uh, you have to have, I mean, even from a practical perspective, you have to have a passport. You know, all of those different things can limit you and divert you in that pathway that you're going. And then, yeah, you do need the soccer gods to smile upon you. If you're a goal scorer, and you're playing for a team that is better than others, stands to reason you're going to look better in that moment. And if you're scoring a ton of goals for that team, people are going to notice you more. All, all of those different things uh, uh, come into play. And so, you know, Alex, while it's, while it's a good question, I don't, I don't have an answer uh, to it. And we continue to strive. And again, it doesn't mean just specifically relative to the talent that the U.S. has produced, that we haven't had players that had the potential, if given those same pathways, to be huge, huge stars going forward. Incidentally, Alex tweeted me this weekend asking, uh, this question didn't make it into the show, but asking uh, who I thought was the greater player, Romario or Ronaldinho. And I mulled it over all weekend while I was in Vegas because I thought it was a really tricky question. And I ultimately went with Romario. 
a better player? Yeah, I think, I think he's more consistent. I mean, Ronaldinho had those magical moments, and from a magical perspective, they are on a whole nother level. But I think he had the capacity to be much more inconsistent, uh, and therefore the fluctuation of him in terms of getting to those magical moments was less or was more with him than Romario. Uh, another voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hello, this is Darren calling from the banks of the Shark River in Neptune, New Jersey. And I'm calling after watching the Antonio Conte match interview after Spurs draw with Southampton. Uh, I was really impressed with the way he called out his team's lack of heart, commitment, and the way he called out Tottenham top to bottom as having a lack of value in their eyes, basically. Um, I want to know what your opinion is of him as a candidate for the United States men's national team coach. Uh, I see him as a great candidate because of this uh, interview. Um, I think he could bring an ice hockey-like accountability to the national team. And uh, I feel that's something we need after the Qatar post-Qatar drama. I feel that he's also probably available after his comments <laughs> in that interview. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, the final whistle probably would have said the same thing with that draw. Anyhow. Just wondering what your opinion is on Antonio Conte at the helm. And uh, my book suggestion is Upton Sinclair is the jungle. My team is Bayern. Love the pod, guys. Thank you so much. If you choose my message, Mia send Mia. All right. There we go. Darren from uh, the banks there in New Jersey. Thank you for uh, for the uh, call. Uh, what's that, Mossy? I had a couple of dramatic pauses right? there during that call. You no, know, it's very theatrical. I, I can appreciate that. And, uh, you know, a good question. And for, for those that, that didn't see it, um, it was must see in terms of post game interviews. And after his team mind bogglingly let themselves, uh, you know, get, get out with a point as opposed to the three points that should have been secure. And, um, he went off, he went off on the team and the ownership and the culture and the history. And from a theatrical perspective, it was great. And I loved it. And I, I loved the brutal honesty. I loved the entertainment factor. Um, and if I was the owner of the team, I would have fired, fired him immediately after that, which is probably what he wants anyway. Okay. You can tell that he has checked out and he is looking for excuses. You were brought in for all of the reasons that Darren... And, and, and so many others uh, think you're great. And it hasn't gone in the way that you wanted it. And it's certainly in that day it didn't go. And you didn't have any answers. You're paid to have these those answers. Now, I will defend Conte in that I think sometimes we put too much uh, responsibility an emphasis on the impact that a coach has, in particular in the game of soccer, which I've said before, is I think relative to other sports, the game in which the players have the most influence. And so it's not that a manager can't have an impact and an important one, but there comes a point where it, you're on the field. And there's nothing that a coach can necessarily do, a coach or manager can do. Having said that, 
You took the money, you took the job, you brought all of that cachet and all of that experience. And in taking the job, you agreed that this was what you could do and that you could make this team better. Still arguable as to whether you have done that. And certainly on that day, I looked at that coach and said, that is a coach that is um, uninspired and certainly isn't inspiring anybody after that game, uh, talking like that, and ultimately was incompetent in the moment. He's one of the great coaches in the world, but he has not been able to bring them to the point, I think, that they, uh, that they expected. And I'll let you go here, and then I'll talk to you about whether I, I see him as a viable candidate for the U.S. I did not like this interview, and I'm generally a Conti fan, although you know what you're getting with him. A very good coach in the short term, but gonna he's going to burn out. He's got this self-sabotage thing. Frankly, he should still be at Inter right now. Uh, I never quite understood why he walked away from that team. Supposedly, it was the financial situation was such that we weren't going to be able to win, and yet here they are getting ready to face Benfica in a Champions League quarterfinal tie uh, with a great chance to move on to the semis and perhaps even beyond. So... Yeah, I, I would not go that route if I was uh, the U.S. national team, just because I don't think Conti is a guy you can trust to make a commitment long term. You know, he might show up and then a year later decide that he's not happy with something and then just walk away. And I just generally don't like when a coach disassociates himself from the problems. That whole interview was, you know, the players, this and that. At no point was there, hey, maybe I can do a better job too. And and no, I mean, he he just completely put it all on the players and the club and he did. his butt. Yeah, he just walked away from it, washed his hands, and said, "It's it's not me. It's you, and it's systemic. And uh, there's nothing that I could possibly do." It's playing to the peanut gallery. There's a type of fan yep. that loves that, like our our caller just now, and a coach that's willing to throw the players under the bus, and particularly a club like Tottenham. You know, there there's certain type of fan that loves hearing that. And there's some truth to what he said, but I still don't think it's an appropriate for a coach to act like that. So yeah. And I think he's clearly angling to get fired. Uh, and so we'll see. It's now the standoff between him and Levy. The players want him gone. There are reports today that they want him gone. They, they don't want to play for him anymore. And there's an international break now. So the timing might sure. be right for it, but I don't know. Levy almost, it's almost a pride thing. He doesn't want to get bullied into giving Conti what he wants and letting him go. <laughs> it's like, uh, Brayer Rabbit, please don't throw me in the briar patch, right? But he, the things that he is railing against were his responsibility to fix and to have fixed. And, and it didn't happen. I don't know. Uh, as far as him, I, I, I agree with you too. I do not see him as someone that I would want coaching the national team. And not because he doesn't know the game or doesn't have international experience or isn't one of the great minds in the game. And, and I'll talk about this more on, uh, on Wednesday, but... I see this appointment of the next manager uh, coach of the U.S. men's national team as fundamental and as really unique because of 2026. And I do. I want someone that understands. And it could be because of a long time history and association, or it could be just because they get it. I want someone that has a connection with the U.S., I do. I think that that matters in the international game. And in particular, it matters in 2026. And I'll talk more about that and expound upon that uh, later on this uh, week. But yeah, I don't think that I would look to Conte, Darren, as, uh, as a viable candidate. I can already tell you that he will not be in my top five candidates when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. I forgot to mention this earlier. I know it's completely off topic, but we are talking about a North London club. Did you see that Arsenal is going to be the opponent yes. for the MLS All-Star game? That's some 
wonderful little luck there, huh? Yeah. If, yeah. They, if they did the deal beforehand, that's uh, that's great. But, but. but do you buy the premise that now with League's Cup, it would be an overkill of MLS League and next stuff? So that's why they're moving away from that format for the All-Star game, going back to a European club coming over? Maybe, but I also think it's Arsenal, you know? And so I think it, this is this is something special and something that you have to do. All right, we have one more voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hey, this is Michael from Chicago. I was listening to your guys' top five movies last week, and I was horrified that the Shaolin soccer movie was not part of either of your lists. It's a great movie. Uh, if you guys have not seen Shaolin soccer, you got to watch it. That's all. Bye. Thank you. All right, Michael from Chicago. Well, listen, the reason why we do lists is to uh, tell you what we think and then to have you come back. And if you agree or disagree, you uh, you let us know. And thank you for doing that, uh, Michael from Chicago. The, yeah, the Shaolin soccer movie, I remember when it came out and I, I did not, I was not drawn to a movie that incorporates soccer and I guess martial arts and and that kind of stuff uh, going on. It looked a little bit too much too too fantasy like in terms of uh, what it was. You say it's good, you know. I, I from the outside, having not seen it, I say it's bad, <laughs> but I haven't watched it, so I have no idea. But maybe on your rec recommendation, Michael, I will I will check it out because I do remember when it came out, and I do remember thinking. I want nothing to do, uh, nothing to do with that. But you know what? You got your list. Uh, I got my list. And my list can only be made up of the movies that I have watched. And I fully recognize and accept that there are a lot of soccer movies out there that I haven't seen. And we did that list in the same episode where we interviewed Brendan Hunt from yes. Ted Lasso. So if you everybody should go that, back and uh, check that out. Definitely check that out. He, I, he, was, he brought it. It was really, it was really good. The last two guests we've had in terms of Taylor, Taylor Twelman and uh, Brendan Hunt have really brought it and brought some interesting and provocative and uh, entertaining takes in terms of uh, soccer, both on and off the field. So that was really, really good. And if you haven't checked out the new season of uh, uh, of Ted Lasso, it just dropped last week, and uh, we'll continue on. Possibly the final season. If you listen to our interview, uh, we talk about that too with Brendan. First off, when I hear Shaolin, I think of the Wu Tang Clan. Right. I'm not even familiar with this movie that he's alluding to. Uh, I do want to say they posted the clip of our soccer movies discussion. I was scrolling through the comments, and somebody did bring up Air Bud World Pup, which leads me to the conclusion that Aaron Schechter has a burner account. <laughs> The Airbud phenomenon. Oh my yes. goodness! Airbud one and two and different uh, different sports and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I didn't include any of the Airbuds uh, Airbuds either. Anything else here from a uh, Ask Alexi perspective, uh, Mossy? That is it. All right, we will take another quick break. And when we come back, I will give you my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It is the end of uh, our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, did you hear the uh, the news out of FIFA that they're going to uh, dramatically increase the prize money for the Women's World Cup? 
Big news. Big news. Big news. Three, uh, three times the amount of 2020 uh, of 2019 World Cup. Uh, it's going up to one hundred and ten million dollars. And keep in mind that that is relative to the around four hundred and forty million dollars that the men's World Cup has when it comes uh, to prize money. This, you know, I think was rightfully praised and celebrated by many Uh I'm not all, but by uh, but by many, and I think a lot of people feel that this is, um, this is progress, this is success, this is evolution, and this is FIFA putting money into something that needs to be uh, financed in a way that is going to continue to grow it. Obviously, we are on you know basically the eve of another World Cup with the Women's World Cup coming uh, this uh, this summer in Australia and New Zealand. And we want it to be as big as possible. And this helps in that effort. But, and I've, and I've talked about this uh, before, there's always, there's not always a but, but in this case, there is always that but in my mind where I start thinking about, you know, the the fight, and it and it has been a fight, and especially when it comes to United States Soccer Federation and our women's team and our men's team, and the fight uh, both in the public forum and in the legal forum uh, for equal and equitable pay. And you know we have gotten to the point where you know that fight has culminated in a decision and a kumbaya type of moment between the men's team and the women's team and a recognition that this is what they want to do. But I've said this before, there is an element of hypocrisy when I think about this, because, you know, for so long, one of the major arguments between paying the men's team and the women's team or, you know, paying the women's uh, uh, World Cup or the men's World Cup has been about, it's the same job. They do the same job, okay? When it comes to our United States Soccer Federation, Mossy, it is much more than the U.S. men's national team and women's te national team. We have national teams when it comes to the men's and women's side, when it comes to beach soccer. We have our national team when it comes to our CP national team, both men's and women's. We have men's and women's deaf national team. We have our men's football, uh, futsal national team. We have our power soccer national team. Now, these are all men and women who are playing at their highest level when it comes to the sport of soccer and representing the United States. And yet I never hear any of our men's team or our women's team say that any of these men and women should also be treated equally and equitably when it comes to representing their country at the highest level. And, you know, if, if the case is that you don't believe, I'm talking to the men's and the national team, that you don't believe that any of these men and women that are on our, what they would call extended national teams, do the same job, I'd like to hear you make that publicly. Whether it's a Walker Zimmerman or a Becky Sabrin or a Megan Rapino or a Tyler Adams or anybody, I want you to tell the men and women that play on these national teams that they don't do the same job, that they don't, you know, in, in, in the course of the last couple of years, we've heard, you know, we, we face all of these challenges and we don't even have close to the resources. And if you put the resources in, then it will grow. Well, the same can be said for all of these national teams. And this isn't me just, you know, being devil's advocate here. 
This is just the reality and the potential for this to happen going forward. So I am asking the men's national team and the women's national team, do you believe that all of our extended teams, that's what they call them on the, uh, at the U.S. soccer, our extended national teams deserve the same treatment, the equal and equitable treatment that the men's national team and the women's national team have. And if you don't, why? Do you believe that they do a different job? Do you believe that you, as the women's national team or the men's national team, deserve more because you do more or you are more popular or you make more money? I don't know. But that is a discussion at some point that needs to be made because if the argument is, and it always has been, that everybody deserves to be treated and paid equally and equitably when it comes to the national teams and the U.S. national teams, these are U.S. national teams. And I'm not even getting into the age national teams, the younger national teams when it comes to that. So if it is ultimately about putting your hand over your heart and representing what I feel is the greatest country in the world at the highest level, we have a lot of national teams that do that, that are not being treated equally or equitably when it comes to the amount of money that they are getting and the resources that they are getting relative to our U.S. men's national team and our U.S. women's national team. So congratulations on getting this incredible bump from FIFA. And that's a good thing. And I'm happy about that. And I can't wait till FIFA fulfills its commitment, which is something that they have said to make it equal between the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup. But internally, when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation, which, by the way, where that fight and where that legal battle was, the U.S. women and the U.S. men, I think, have to answer for why they feel that the U.S. men's national team and women's national team should be treated so far and away better when it comes to the resources and the financial uh, benefits that they get relative to all the other national teams that exist in the United States Soccer Federation. Mossy, anything? Yeah, you've always had an interesting take on this because the women like to portray themselves as the underdogs in this story relative to the U.S. men, but you flip it around on them and say they're actually in a position of power relative to all these other extended national teams. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what they say. I'm sure they'll respond to you in some way. No, I, no they, they probably won't be responding because this is about getting yours. This is about money. It always has been. And that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. I recognize it for exactly what it is and what it always has been. It is about getting money. And if that's the case, then fine. And if you say, no, they, they deserve exactly what we're getting, fine. That would bankrupt the Federation very quickly. So then the answer is, okay, everybody take less. Or how about you really want it to be equal and equitable? Then nobody gets anything when it comes, when it comes to money. And I know I'm, you know I'm being a little flip here in, in talking about it, but it does concern me that so easily people talk about the, differ, uh, the differing and the differentiations between the U.S. men's national team and the women's national team and conveniently leave out all of these other national teams that, as far as I'm concerned, work not just as hard, but I would argue much harder. Have you ever been to a U.S. men's national team training or U.S. women's national team training and seen the amount of uh, resources that they have? The coaching staff that they have, the way they travel, the way they eat, obviously the way that they are paid. And then go and watch the extended national teams and see the way that they are. 
I bet you they would love to travel business class. I bet you they would love to have the size of staff that the U.S. women and, and U.S. men have. But they don't. And I'm just asking why. Did I see that Heather O'Reilly, our good friend, has a new show with Lori Lindsay? She does, yes. Uh, on Sirius XM, our good friend uh, Heather O'Reilly. So I'm, I'm going to be definitely checking that out. Uh, perhaps all you, things U.S. soccer. Perhaps you can go on their show and raise this point. Maybe. Maybe I will go on that uh, show if they will if they will have me. Uh, you know, Heather uh, and Lori are, are, are wonderful. And this is going to focus on women's soccer, uh, both the domestic leagues and obviously the uh, the Women's World Cup. So I'm really looking uh, forward to that going, uh, going forward. And NWSL is right around the corner, too as is, as we said, the uh, Women's World Cup. And I'm excited. And I'm excited that the Women's World Cup is coming. I think it's going to be, well, practically, it's going to be the biggest World Cup that we've ever had in terms of the number of teams. I also think it's going to be a great World Cup. Not for many reasons, not the least of which is, you know, this... Uh, this increased pot of gold, if you will, when it comes to the uh, the prize money. And I think very, very soon, uh, whether they want to do it or not, FIFA will be forced to equal the uh, the pot when it comes to the men's side. All right, let's get out of here. I know you're comfortable, but I know we do have to wrap this up. You know, up. it's a, a sudden rush of blood to uh, my nether <laughs> regions from up here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in and for rating and reviewing and subscribing and doing all the different things that you, uh, that you do. We'll be back again uh, later on this week. As I mentioned, I'll give you my five potential candidates that I think are best candidates that I think when it comes to the U.S. Uh, men's national team. I Don't hold our breath, Monzi, because it's not going to happen for a while, I think. Uh, probably not until the summer when it comes to a coach. But who knows? Maybe they get things done uh, quickly. But I will give you my five. Uh, five. So, until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>